Welcome to Code Together, a discussion series exploring the possibilities of cross-architecture development with those who live it. I'm your host, Brenda Christopher. Today, our topic is scientific visualization. It's a process of representing raw scientific data as images, and these images improve scientists' interpretations of large data sets. They provide insights that may be overlooked by traditional statistical methods alone. Today, our guest is Anne Bowen. She's a research engineering scientist at the University of Texas at Austin. She works at the Texas Advanced Computing Center, known as TAC. TAC is one of the world's leading supercomputer centers and an Intel 1API center of excellence. Anne's background is in computational chemistry, which she uses to help scientists design scalable visualization technologies. Welcome, Anne. Hi. Our next guest is Donna Nemchik. She's a performance validation lead at Intel's Advanced Rendering and Visualization Group. Donna leads performance analysis of the OneAPI rendering toolkit components on many types of Intel CPU and GPU platforms, from clients to huge HPC clusters. Donna, thanks so much for joining. Hi, Brenda. It's good to be here. So let's kick this off. Anne, could you share with us how did you get started in scientific visualization? Yeah, sure. So as an undergrad, I worked at the San Diego Supercomputer Center, and I had an internship analyzing reaction dynamics data and creating a visual analysis tool. And that really helped me see the power of scientific visualization, especially with a concept so abstract as chemistry. So I was really drawn to the power of using visual tools to visualize the abstract. And from there, I kind of branched out to other areas of visualization and really enjoyed being part of the research. And after that, I went to pursue my degree in computational chemistry, where I really focused on looking at receptor surfaces and the properties at molecular surfaces and visualizing techniques for those. So after completion of my degree, I really missed the research environment of a computational research center. And I wanted to go back to kind of working with diverse data sets and I wanted to stay in visualization. So TAC for me was the perfect place to land. TAC provides high-performance computational resources for researchers across the nation, and that includes the development and support of tools and software for data analysis and visualization. So that includes the direct support and training of the researchers that use our resources, as well as the software and hardware stack. So I work one-on-one with researchers and also provide training. So it's kind of the best of all of my interests from my time as an undergrad and grad school. So I've really enjoyed my time at TAC. How about you, Donna? How did you get started in visualization? I have an interesting path that got me to Viz. So my 30-year career has been served well by my electrical engineering and computer science degrees. So I've worked in three major segments of the industry, being the telecom network switching industry, HPC, and currently advanced rendering and visualization architecture. But how I serve in the Viz role is I was key at doing embedded software development, which is the layer of software that's really embedded in the hardware. And I've always had a role in performance validation and optimization throughout all those segments of my career and had some key initiatives going on with release and DevOps management. So in Viz, with my primary role as performance validation lead, I really am 
getting into, you know, how fast do our software libraries work on the platforms being released at Intel and, you know, any optimizations that can be had. So I have a goal to drive key initiatives in terms of performance, accessibility of software, and ease of use of our software. And let me not forget to mention, I was a part-time adjunct professor at the Penn State University where I taught computer science. So this whole role of instructing folks and guiding folks and working in the software industry, no matter what the layers of the stack that I'm present in, it's just a whole lot of fun for me. It must be really satisfying also to be part of making the tools easier to use. I remember as a graduate student, you know, I was in the chemistry department and I was really the only person interested in computational tools or visualization. So I was kind of on my own. I didn't really know what libraries or what software to use. And I had to figure out a lot via trial and error. And a lot of time was spent, you know, trying to figure out what path to take. And then after I arrived at TAC and I really learned about all these tools, you know, I probably could have saved a couple years from my PhD. I would have known about these things sooner. I really have a lot of sympathy for helping these researchers and helping guide them towards the right tool to use and also to help them become more aware of what tools are available with their data. That's interesting you say that because your role is you're enabling researchers to visualize their data sets and you're going to be the expert at TAC in this regard. You've been doing this for quite a while. How has visualization of data evolved over your tenure in instructing researchers how to use the software? Well, I feel like now visualization is really an integral part of a researcher's like analysis toolkit. Uh, I feel like it used to be a lot more in the past. Researchers would come to us and maybe ask for just a finale viz where they would want something for a publication or a presentation that was really impressive. And we're seeing more and more now that they want to use a software like Peer Review, which is a visualization software that we support at TAC every step of the way. Like they wanted to get a preliminary view of their data. They want to interact with their data and use it as a debugging and analysis tool. So that's one of the main ways that this software stack has changed, especially with training, because we see that reflected in the people that are coming to our workshops and kind of what they want. They want to learn to use the tools themselves. A good example of that, we had a collaboration with an experimental x-ray crystallographer at the University of Texas at El Paso. And he works with using experimental methods to determine the structure of biological molecules. So that ranges from rhinoviruses, which cause a common cold, to really large marine viruses, which are very not very well studied. So he had determined the structure of this really large marine virus and wanted to get it up on his high resolution display and didn't even have any software that he could use to visualize it at all. So we worked with him and actually we worked directly with Intel at that point to come up with an application that he could use. And I think it was an earlier version of the Osprey plugin. Uh, it was a standalone viewer and he used that and was able to successfully view his huge virus, which is actually called a gyrus on the display wall. Wow. Fast forward to this last summer, we had a postdoc from his lab that came wanting to interact with this gyrus and hoping to get our help. But now instead of having to have a, a custom solution, which was time intensive and required several people to help, he could just use Paraview and use that to load and interact with this virus. And also there's an application that's really popular with molecular scientists called BMD. And he was also 
able to load it into BMD. So the Osprey plugin is now part of Paraview and BMD. So that was really nice. There was no development process. He was just able to look at his data directly. Were you or your researchers able to get a chance to explore the 1API rendering toolkit yet? by chance? No, not yet. Oh, you'll find it really interesting. So the One API Rendering Toolkit includes the Embry, Osprey, OpenVKL, OpenImage Denoise, Osprey Studio, the components you're familiar with already, you know, Osprey being integrated into Paraview, as you said. So what the One API Rendering Toolkit does is it provides the solution that quickly enables visualization folks, the researchers, to bring up the software. How this works behind the scenes is we pull the software from open source, the open source components you're using, and we build binaries out of them. We add a bit of glue, as I like to call it, to support the ease of use. So when these get packaged up with the glue, you install them on your computer, your desktop, your server, an HPC cluster. What happens is after the install, you run one setup script and all your pads and libraries and that are set up automatically. So there's no more stressing over compatibilities of versions of source code to use or manual build processes. You really benefit tremendously from it. I have to ask, though, so the software evolution has really impacted research, in your opinion. Do you have any other examples of, you know, how research has just simply exploded and the scientists benefiting so much from what it is that the Viz offers them for their research? Yes, you know, I think researchers are able to gain so much more insight from their data when they can interact with it. You know, as I mentioned, the river from UTEP wanted to be able to interact with this gyrus molecule. When researchers are able to interact with their data in real time, they can get so much more out of it than the old protocol of rendering an image and then, you know, interacting with your data and then rendering an image, you know, with minutes to hours in between that process. For example, during the pandemic, I was working with an oceanographer on the hydrodynamics of Lake Champlain, which is a very cold lake in Vermont. And since it was COVID time, all of our interactions were over Zoom. And I was looking at his model of the lake data on Frontera, you know, and interacting with it in Paraview, because he also wasn't an extremely technical, even though he's renowned in his field with oceanography, you know, he did not want to learn to use Paraview and wasn't really familiar with the data, even though he was extremely familiar with the science. So it was a really interesting collaboration, you know, where I was interacting with the data in Paraview on Frontera, you know, sharing my screen. And then he was commenting on what he was seeing and what he expected to see and what he wanted to see. And then I was able to, in real time, you know, change things like the different isosurfaces and the cutting planes to help him explore the data. And that just simply wouldn't be possible, you know, if it weren't for the interactive frame rates and the speeds. So it was really a satisfying collaboration, even though, you know, it's kind of still new to do everything 100% on Zoom, but it worked pretty well, worked really well. So performance is key in my role, as I say, and you're kind of alluding to that, right? So performance comes into play in various contexts, right? For example, CPU or GPU core speeds, memory speeds, memory latency, capacity, fragmentation, and the compiler capabilities or source code algorithm efficiencies threading, parallel computation, you know, the list goes on, but all of these impacting the rates at which data can be visualized and the visualization interacted with in real time, as you're mentioning. Yes. So let me ask a rhetorical question. Who instructs the instructor? 
you mentioned you have to learn all of these tools on your own and then provide instruction. So one of the areas I am driving is the completion of a program called the One API Rendering Toolkit Certified Instructor Program. So what this is, is self-paced, web-based program, and you must pass a test in order to become officially certified. But the program will enable instructors like you to know and understand the features of the rendering toolkit software and how to use them. So there'll be various areas of certification available. Rollout is targeted for first half of 22. But, you know, I'm thinking, would such a program benefit you, Anne? Yes, definitely. I don't remember if I explicitly mentioned it, but every summer we offer a visualization training workshop for researchers that lasts about a week. And it would be really great to be able to enable our researchers to use those tools. Fantastic. We'll have to get you involved into the program. So let me ask this now. What has been, say, your biggest wow moment in vids? I don't know if I have a wow moment, but I've been really inspired. I've been most inspired, I think, when I've seen the scientists I've been working with kind of get new insights into their data, whether it be a more holistic view. So maybe they had only looked at a small chunk of their data on their laptop. And then because they're using the resources at TAC, they're able to look at all of their data. I think my favorite example, we have a researcher. He was a plasma physicist, been working in that field for 50 years many breakthrough discoveries in that time. And he had only ever worked with 2D slices of his data that he had created in Newplot. <laughs> so he reached out to us and my colleague, Greg Foss, who also has an art background, made these stunning 3D visualizations of these plasma structures. And it was just amazing to hear the scientists talk about the new structures that he was seeing based on this 3D knowledge. And we actually were able to get the same structure into the HoloLens, the Microsoft HoloLens. So we actually have video footage of the scientist and his reaction as he was looking at this HoloLens, you know, in the room with him. So after an entire career of analyzing the data in a 2D way, you know, to be able to finally see it in 3D was amazing. And also it was just amazing to me how much he could do looking at the 2D slices of the data. I'll have to show them to you because it's, you know, it almost just looks like a graph, <laughs> you know, as opposed to when you see the whole thing in 3D and animated, you know, it looks like a ghost or something. It looks like it has a life of its own. So it's amazing. So I bet you say wow a lot, like myself as well. My biggest wow moments, well, I don't know, there's so many of them. You know, every time folks on the team send out some really cool vids that they've done, I'm just like, it's incredible. It's magical. For me, in the performance area, and just given the different various segments that I've been involved in, I kind of get really excited about the big data aspect of it, like how big data sets can now be managed. And one of the really cool things for me was this Optane memory. And I believe TAC has that integrated in their clusters, but what an incredible way to expand the footprint of your memory and pull in these terabyte size data sets. To me, that was just incredible how that gets pulled off. You know, I'm sure you had a chance to work on those clusters in TAC. It's just amazing. The amount of data is just amazing. Well, we're nearly out of time. I like to wrap up these interviews with, Anne, where do you see scientific visualization heading in the next five years? I see visualization 
going more into the hands of the researchers. You know, I've mentioned that just in the time that I've been in biz, I've seen a big increase in the number of scientists that want to use visualization as part of their data analysis toolkit. And I feel like that will continue in that direction where we'll see scientists being able to work with larger data sets using commodity software like PeerView that's been enabled by the One API and other things that are easy to use, easy enough that they can do it themselves. I'm really looking forward to the software and the hardware improving with the rate of data production. I know the data sets are getting larger and larger, and I'm really excited to hear all the things that Donna has said about One API and the pace of Intel's development. And I feel like the future is looking very bright that we will be able to keep pace with the deluge of data, of big data that's coming in and continue to help the researchers reach their goals. Yeah, we look forward to continuing to work with TAC to, you know, enable advancements in their clusters from the hardware and software perspectives. Donna, how about you? Where do you see scientific visualization heading in the future? Oh, I can take this off in many tangents, Brenda. I guess maybe the one I'll point out here is given the context of our, you know, in software instruction and really getting the researchers up and going quickly is I think the industry specifications are playing a bigger role in biz, you know, namely the Cronus Scenario spec and the One API specifications. These will truly enable software to be, quote, written one time and yet be able to work on a variety of different platforms. And I can just tie that into this conversation here with Anne in the instructing of the researchers is it really simplifies you know, not only the visualization software, but even the know-how around the software. So I think we're going to see a lot of movement there in the next few years. Anne, could you give us some resources? Where can people learn more? Yeah, so there's a website, learn.tac.utexas.edu, which kind of summarizes our training products. And also just our main website, tac.utexas.edu, kind of tells more about TAC in general. And Donna, are there any resources from Intel that you'd like to point out? Oh, yes. Renderingtoolkit.org. If you go to that one spot, it is your landing zone for everything about the rendering toolkit and will guide you to each component and deep dive into the technical details, as well as get you all the key links you need for downloading the software binaries and or getting them from open source. Well, I want to thank you both. And Donna, this has just been such an exciting topic and bringing the visualization to reality for our scientists is just really incredible work. So thank you for all that you do. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. Let's continue the conversation at oneapi.com. Oh, 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 o